Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Volume. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on donate? What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome, everybody, back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brever, and alongside me is Logan Tamsin. And today, we are going to be giving our NFL playoff predictions. We're also going to be talking about some of the more insane NFL coaching news that has broken. Bill Belichick is out in New England. Pete Carroll is out as head coach in Seattle. We're going to touch on that, but at the end of the show, because first things first, we got to talk about these playoff games, Logan. So, Let's start with what will be kicking off the weekend. Kind of the ultimate revenge matchup for both sides. Texans-Browns, what's your prediction for this game? Very much so a revenge game for both sides, Carson. I am taking the Cleveland Browns to win this game 24-18. And it's interesting because... 18. uh, Yeah, I... I think some of these games are going to be a little grimy. I think this is going to be kind Mm. of a grimy game. Uh, It is in Houston, so we will be in the Dome. But we saw these two teams face off earlier uh, without C.J. Stroud. It was Joe Flacco versus the tandem of Case Keenum and Davis Mills, baby. Uh, Yeah, studs. Amari Cooper uh, broke the Browns' single-season franchise receiving record in that game with 265 yards. And that's kind of where I come down uh, with this. It's a really big stylistical difference, like you mentioned, Carson. Uh, it's the hot hand and the veterans versus a young team and a rookie QB. And that's a big fundamental crux of where I'm going with this. Uh, quarterbacks making their first postseason appearance are 27 and 50 straight up and 30, 46 and one against the spread since 2002. It's really hard as a rookie to win your first playoff game. I know they're at home. They have been riding a bit of a hot hand, but my roommate Danny made an interesting point too is I, 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 I was skeptical. That's kind of the hard thing about this as a rookie quarterback in his first playoff stage. It's a it's a really big stage. But Danny was like, CJ's done this all year long. In the big moments, uh, he's shown up. He's always been super composed. He's been ready for the moment. We saw this in college, in the college football playoff game. So if there is a guy who's going to do it as a rookie, I think it would be CJ Stroud. If there was going to be a guy. That being said, I'm... 
I'm not going to pick it. I'm going to go with the trends. The Browns have the number 13 scoring defense, the number one passing defense. Is there going to be a defense that's going to be able to slow down C.J. Stroud? I think it's going to be Cleveland. They're hot. They've won four of their last five. Joe Flacco has been on an absolutely torrential run, uh, 323 passing yards per game. Uh, the Browns do have some injuries I'm concerned about. Uh, Denzel Ward is questionable with a shoulder injury. Grant Delpit is out uh, with a groin injury. Juan Thornhill is questionable uh, with a calf injury. And uh, they will have a backup kicker, Riley Patterson, uh, for this game. So there are some injuries that concern me with the Browns secondary in their elite pass defense. And like I said, C.J. Shroud may be the ultimate outlier. Like, <laughs> Carson and I have talked over the past few weeks since the midway point. C.J. Stroud just had the best rookie quarterback season, I think, in NFL history. And so if there is going to be a guy that comes in and does it, it's probably C.J., but I'm not going to pick it. I'm going to rock with the Cleveland Browns. I think they're more experienced. I think they've got the best player on the field in Miles Garrett, and they're hotter than Houston. And the veteran edge does matter to me. Playoff games, the Browns have the experience, so I'm going to take Cleveland. I am so, so conflicted on this game, man. This is one of a couple this weekend that – Feel close to toss-ups. The Browns' defense, and especially that pass rush, is terrifying to me. Because you mentioned they're 13th in terms of scoring defense, but as we've discussed, they're second in points allowed per drive. Like, they've just been set up with some bad short fields. Their offense has turned the ball over at a crazy clip. That is an elite, elite defense, and they have consistently been that. And there's really nothing for Houston to exploit in this Browns defense that I see. Like, if there's one area where they aren't stellar, it's been against the run. They're 19th in rushing yards per attempt allowed, but the Texans have really struggled to run the ball. They're 27th in rushing yards per attempt. They are very, very reliant on CJ doing his thing. So I think that Cleveland, just because they're a more talented all-around football team, like, arguably significantly so, this is a team that, from even before the year, we were like, hey, if Deshaun looks like himself, that was initially the conversation. And then it became, if they just have good quarterback play, like slightly above average quarterback play, this team is talented enough, especially on that defense, uh, but also in the trenches. Of course, they've had injuries to Conklin and Chubb and all this stuff. But still, to be in that conversation as a Super Bowl contender, whereas Houston was coming off of a three-win season and we're like, oh my God, great job even being here, fellas. Like, congratulations. How did you do this? Give everybody every award. Give Stroud Offensive Rookie of the Year. Give D'Amico Coach of the Year. So the expectations are different, and I do think that that reflects a real gap in overall talent. So if a team was going to blow the other one out of the water in this game, I think it's much more likely that Cleveland does that. The pass rush dominates. Flacco does just hum like he did last time that those two teams met. He was just letting it rip to Amari on deep balls and single coverage, and Amari was dominating. That was a very banged up Texans defense. I think that's one thing that some people are skimming over. They're keying in on the Stroud absence and ignoring the fact that Will Anderson was out in that game. Jonathan Grenard got hurt very early in that game. So those have been your two best edge rushers and the pass rush has been the strength of this defense. That does matter. But I do think the Texans have some advantages in this matchup. I think if you look at the things that they can exploit, number one, Joe Flacco as dynamic as he has been, as much as he's hit on some of these big shot plays, pushing the ball down the field, he has been consistently turning the ball over. And the Browns have 13 turnovers in his five starts, but they've been able to survive that because they've been taking the ball away from the opponent at a really high clip too. They have 11 takeaways. The Texans have taken incredible care of the ball this year. They have the fewest turnovers in the league. So if Flacco still has those couple plays where he's careless with the football, he makes a mistake, and you don't reciprocate, you don't give them those possessions back, 
that's a pretty key area that they can win this battle. They're also, as I mentioned, a really good pass rush. They're fifth in pressure rate this year, and they've done that with the fifth lowest blitz rate. Flacco has been really good against the Blitz this year. He is using that old man brain of his, and he is just dissecting you when he has a numbers advantage, doing an awesome job getting the ball out quickly. But if the Texans can get pressure with four consistently, I understand that Amari lit them up last time, but they have good corners who can cover with, of course, Derek Stingley, who's been awesome, with Steven Nelson. And I think you have to consistently double Amari. You can't just let him live in single coverage. You do everything to take him away. And then if you can still get home... I wonder if they can expose Flacco's lack of mobility, his lack of play extension. Because yeah, he can pick you apart with the blitz, but if you aren't giving him that numbers advantage on the back end and you're still getting home, he's a statue back there. So that's another potential advantage for them. And then the third key thing is that they have the superhero quarterback. Like, I don't value rookie standards all that much for C.J. Stroud. I think he's the best rookie quarterback we've ever seen. And even more than his overall talent, I think there's a level of poise. I think there is a level of composure and clutch gene from him that is rare and is tangible. We've already seen it multiple times. You mentioned his college career too, but in this rookie season, he has delivered in big time moments, hung in the pocket, made big time throws, and he's gotten them out of a lot of tight spots. The Texans have won a lot of really close games against not so great teams this year, including to get into the playoffs. When you think about their signature win of the year against the Bucks, like, yeah, these are mediocre teams that they're barely beating, but they're winning at all because CJ Stroud is doing this phenomenal stuff. And although Flacco's production has been great, I don't view him at that level as a talent right now. So those are the ways that I think that the Texans can pull off what to me would feel like an upset in this one. I understand that they are the higher seed. This is a home playoff game for them, but the Browns, have been the better team throughout this year. The Texans were the ones who had to uh, fight for their lives this past weekend while the Browns could sit everybody. They were already 11-5. and five. But I do still lean Cleveland here just because I find myself making more uphill arguments for Houston. They have advantages, but the Browns are just the much more talented all-around football team. They're better in the trenches on both sides of the ball. That really matters. I could see CJ having to kind of fight for his life, run for his life in this game. And with the emergence of David Njoku, it's not like, okay, Amari had 265 yards last game. We got to do everything we can to take him away. And then boom, we've solved it because Njoku has been so consistently open, been so lethal after the catch. The development of another high-end weapon like that in this Browns offense makes things tougher on the Texans defense. And at the end of the day, this Browns offense is just on a hot streak. They have been lighting people up and it's that same defense. So I do have so much faith in CJ. I am a bit concerned about Joe Flacco if you're able to get pressure home against him without having to send extra dudes. But because I think the Browns are the more loaded overall football team, I'm going to take Cleveland to win this game 27-24. Yeah, and I don't want to linger on this one too much. we got a lot to get through here on the show today. But speaking to the point that you made about CJ Shroud, even in that last week, Carson, against Indianapolis, backs against the wall, C.J. Stroud showed us what he got. He had to propel yeah. his team into the playoffs, and he did it in another week. Every big moment, C.J. has been composed, he's been in control, and he has swung game single-handedly for Houston. I want to stick on one point you made about the Browns' offense. I think that is exactly where the Texans have to win this game, Carson. I think it's going to be a lot of man-up, uh, two-safety high, cover-two-man looks, or uh, cover-two looks with or excuse me, a cover one look with a high middle deep third and then a middle zone to cover up for Njoku because I think you're right. I don't think you can send the house at uh, Flacco, but the beauty of it is, like you mentioned, if you can get pressure home with that four-man rush with Anderson and Grenard, I think they have the corner talent. I think Stingley, if you 
I would shadow him with Cooper all game long. If he goes in motion, I'm sending Stingley in motion all game long. I'm having him shadow him. I would give Houston a fighting uh, opportunity, but I'm not going to take it. You said 24-18. No, that's, that's what you said, buddy. Oh. <laughs> What'd you I say? 27-24. 27-24. I think it's a little bit more high scoring. I think CJ's going to put points on the board, and I think that that Browns offense has really been humming as of late. But the Texans have a real shot to win this game, in my opinion. They are not like significant underdogs because I do believe in CJ that much. He, he makes up to me for a good portion of the talent gap between these two and imagine imagine how much it would suck for the Browns if the Texans are already a better football team than you with their rookie quarterback and you traded for their franchise guy and paid him a historic contract and of course he's not out there on the field for you and he wasn't good that'd be rough but hey outside of that good for the Browns happy Mm -hmm. for their fans that they're in the playoffs at all and I do think that they probably win this game all right, let's move to the next game in the AFC, Chiefs-Dolphins. What's your prediction, Logan? Interesting uh, correlation here between these two games. Another rematch that we are going to witness here. Uh, these teams played in London, obviously the first time. Uh, and I'm kind of anticipating a lot of similarities from that initial uh, matchup. The Chiefs really neutralized this elite Miami run, de- uh, run offense. Excuse me. Uh, Chris Jones got a ton of pressure. The Chiefs' corners balled forced two out of rhythm with his receivers. And I really think that's what we're going to see in this game. Uh, the all-pro teams came out. Trent McDuffie was named the slot corner all-pro first team for the Chiefs. Shout out. Uh, I thought Legereus Sneed got snubbed. I would have him all-pro first team. I mean, these Chiefs corners are some of the best in the league. Uh, that's been a huge component of this defense and why they're one of the best in the league. It's weird because I didn't expect Deron Bland to get that first team nod. I didn't know if Deron Bland or Sauce Gardner really deserved first team all pro this year just for Hmm, consistency purposes like you know bland is great and had a ton of big plays but did get burned a lot and i know the big play factor does come in there but bland got picked on a lot in games i don't know i would have i would have probably preferred legerius need over one of those two guys in my all pro first team the bland thing is tough because here's what i'll say first of all i legitimately think that he is subjected to some Cowboys corner who makes big splashy yeah, plays by some people are literally just like, oh, he's Trayvon Diggs. He's yeah. Trayvon Diggs 2.0. And I think that he was a better cover corner than Trayvon Diggs this year. I think if there's only a couple instances where you can look at and say, okay, he decisively lost his matchup on a, a play-to-play basis. I know people point at like DK going off against him. I also do think when you score five touchdowns for your team as a defensive player, it's like there are guys who can be better on a play-to-play basis who you can look at projecting going forward and say, that guy's a better corner. But did you outweigh the impact of a guy who was still a good cover corner down and down and then scored 30 points for his team? I don't know. That's pretty crazy. And Sauce is the man. I think Sauce deserved it. But Snead was also awesome this year. He's on the short list. And shout out Taron Johnson for being a second team slot corner. Facts. It just seems like there's always, in both leagues, there's always just guys, you know, you want to give nods to. The leagues are so talented. That's a a really good point. That's a huge swing factor. I mean, you got quarterbacks who couldn't put up 30 points of this season. You know what I mean? You got a corner Mm -hmm. doing it. Uh, And along with the elite corners, that is a huge component of this for me for the Kansas City Chiefs and why they just match up so well against Miami. Uh, There are other things, which I will get to here in a minute, but... Against Waddle, against Hill, I mean, they probably have the best group to match up against them personnel-wise, and I think we saw that in the first matchup. The Chiefs overall this season, number two scoring defense, number four overall passing defense. 
and they have allowed 20 or fewer points in five consecutive football games. That matters to me. I mean, the Chiefs defense has just been great all season long. Considering yeah. where Miami is at, I did not think this was a super talented team uh, defensively early on. They have now lost arguably their best defensive player in Bradley Chubb. You know, I mean, Tua mustered 193 passing yards against the Chiefs in November. And I think this game is going to come down to Tua making plays, much how the first matchup came down to. And that's where I draw the line. If this comes down to Tua Tagovailoa going above and beyond for the Miami Dolphins and making big plays out of rhythm, out of structure, not to beat a dead horse, I've been saying this all year long, I don't trust the Miami Dolphins to win this football game. They have the quarterback advantage, the Chiefs do. The Chiefs have the defense advantage. I don't need much more. And ultimately, this is a defense without their best player that is 22nd in scoring going up against the best quarterback in football. So for those reasons, uh, I am taking Kansas City. I think an interesting thing to look at, though, this season, Mahomes has always had the luxury of a buy or home field advantage. This is the first time that we're going to have to see Patrick Mahomes win a wild card game, and then potentially uh, we're going to see how this plays out with seeding-wise because if Baltimore does lose, Kansas City could ultimately end up. Uh, is Kansas City the three seed or the two seed? Yeah, so if the Bills lost and then the Ravens lost, then Kansas City could have they home could, field advantage. But, but more than likely, unlikely. more than likely, Patrick Mahomes will be forced to go on the road uh, for the first time in his career at some point and win a playoff game or uh, win a wild card game. So I think that's an interesting dynamic uh, for Mahomes this season. It's something that's a little different. I mean, Arrowhead is such a, and that's the final component of this. Yeah. You're going to Arrowhead. It's a cold playoff game. This is one of the best home field advantages in all of football. Like, we can get mm -hmm. caught up in all the numbers and stuff. Arrowhead is a hellish place to play. I know the Chiefs fans are going to pack it. It's going to be frigid. It's going to be loud. It's going to be tough. Yeah. Give me the better defense. Give me the team at home. Give me the best quarterback in the league. I'm going Chiefs 27-20. It's going to be minus 30 with wind chill. That's what it's going to feel That's like. That's awesome. That's awesome. Dolphins are not made for that, bro. Dolphins are made for swimming around in nice warm waters. This is that Bud Grant weather, man. This that is Minnesota that... Vikings mm -hmm. 1970s frozen tundra. That weather, authentic man. Saskatchewan weather, man. I mean, we're <laughs> going to really see what the Dolphins are made of, and I don't love it for them. Pierre put you on that one. You know, I'm just familiar with world geography, Logan. I'm not sure Pierre's ever been to Saskatchewan. He's a Montreal <laughs> boy. And it gets pretty cold up there, too. Yeah, I really like the Chiefs in this game. I think that in the first matchup, we did see the Dolphins climb back. But overall, it was quite a quiet game for their offense against the standard that they established throughout this year. Waddle and Tyreek combined for just 104 yards. And you said it, dude. The Chiefs get a hell of a lot of pressure. They are second in the league in pressure rate, and their corners are awesome. And facing defenses with that formula has not been good for Tua. He has struggled a bit. And the weather is a factor. I don't think that A, the Dolphins are as familiar and comfortable playing under those conditions, and it's not particularly good for their play style. This is not a physical grind-you-down-in-the-trenches team. This is a flashy perimeter talent right high-flying, high-scoring passing offense. And, of course, they run the ball well, but they don't run the ball well based on dominance in the trenches, necessarily. It's about the speed of those guys and some of their offensive creativity. And then we know how they've fared against high-level competition. They're 1-5 against 500 teams. Tua has consistently struggled in those matchups. And these past couple weeks, we've seen bad Tua. We've seen turnover Tua. We've seen struggling to create out-of-structure Tua. You mentioned defensively. 
This wasn't a great unit to start with, but now they're down not just Chubb, but also Van Genkel. So your two best pass rushers are out the window now. I think they really lack the dudes to make Patrick Mahomes and this Chiefs offense uncomfortable. Barring a Chiefs wide receiver disaster class, which I can't <laughs> entirely rule out, I'm just yep. not seeing where the Dolphins are better here. Like, the Chiefs have the better defense by far. It is an elite, elite top five defense with a really good formula to make two uncomfortable versus a defense that's been pretty average and now is missing two of their key players. And they have by far the better quarterback, best in the league, versus guy who's kind of been exposed in recent weeks. Some of his issues have very much come to light in weather that they're more accustomed to at home. I'm going to go Chiefs 28-17. to I think they win this game by two scores. I like that prediction. And uh, let, let me be clear. Yeah, uh, let me be clear. I want to be clear about something that you said about the Dolphins because they are a number one in rushing yards per attempt and overall rushing yards this season. I completely understand what you're saying, though, about dominating, or excuse me, six in rushing yards overall, first in yards per attempt. Mm -hmm. I, I want to be clear about something that you mentioned with their trenches, because we're not saying that the Dolphins can't run the ball, but they just run it differently in the sense right. that they're outside of the tackles totally. with the speed factor. And the Chiefs succeed there to me, too. They have some of the best linebackers in all of football. Like, you're right. Like, I just don't see where the advantages are. And considering the circumstances, that's where I think Miami has to dominate in this football game to win. Mm -hmm. With the wind chill, with how fast the wind is going to be whipping, with how cold it's going to be, think about what that does to a quarterback. I don't really think that's going to affect Mahomes all that much. But with a guy like Tua, it's going to be harder to throw the ball because mm -hmm. how cold it is. His hands are going to be freezing. It's That weather throws just a little bit of a wrench into the rhythm and timing of everything where... It's just going to be really hard on Tua to move the ball. He already mm -hmm. has his limitations, I think, with the weather factor that just compounds it and makes it even harder for Tua to move the rock. So I think Miami's going to have to dominate on the ground, not only outside of the tackles, but in between them to win this game, really control the line of scrimmage. Mm -hmm. I just don't think they can do that against Kansas City. I think that's the formula, and I just don't think Miami can do it. I think they're a little outmatched in this one. And so, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I wanted to go Chiefs 2 the Chiefs just haven't dominated enough in the regular season for me to be confident enough in to, to pick them to win by double digits. Mm, that's fair. Yeah, and that's another thing that's really interesting about all the offensive success that the Dolphins have had this year. They've been elite in both passing and rushing efficiency, but they've done that without a conventionally dominant line. Their line has been good, but they get the ball out so fast in terms of passing. They do so much creative stuff to get their best athletes in space. They do prefer running, strongly prefer running to the perimeters where they can weaponize the speed of their backs versus really physical football running it up the middle. It's just not necessarily a team that is equipped to be at their best in an environment like this. I think the Chiefs do fare better. But there's going to be some rough weather up in Buffalo as well, Logan. And this is the granddaddy of them all for us. The official Nerd Sesh Bowl. A lot on the line here. Not just pride, not just glory versus agony, but also we have laid it out that the uh, loser of this game, Logan has the Steelers, as he's a Steelers fan, I have the Bills, will have to do uh, five minutes of performance at an open mic in their local community with at least some part of it written by the other nerd. So... Uh, Lots on the line here. Lots on the line. What is your prediction? I'm taking the Bills to win 17 to 15. Uh, even though Ooh, ugly, uh, I am rooting for the Steelers to win. Obviously, as a fan, as I don't want to do an open mic with whatever sadistic 
Jokes or whatever heinous, I don't know. What do you think of me? I'm going to make you the funniest man in America. I'm going to make you the next Bill Cosby. Now, hold on a second. Wait, 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 wait. What did he say? Now, hold on a moment. I I want you to... 80s Bill Cosby. I don't... But the pudding pops, you know, I'm not trying to be... Exactly, yes, yes. Uh, I was planning on writing you like a really funny one. I wasn't going to make it like heinous or sadistic. You can do whatever you want. No, same. I was... I was going to write a really funny one. So even though I am rooting uh, for pride uh, sake and for just because I love the Pittsburgh Steelers, uh, I am going to take the Bills to win this one. The logic, the logical part of my brain just can't do it. The Steelers are down eight starters on defense. Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick and Demonte KZ will return. So we're down six, but that number goes back up to seven as the Pittsburgh Steelers are without the best defensive player on the planet, TJ Watt. Uh, I posted a stat on our socials. Uh, the Steelers are 1-10 in 10 without T.J. Watt since he was drafted, a winning percentage of less than 10. They have a winning percentage of over 60 uh, when T.J. does play. So the question becomes, can Pittsburgh's defensive pernell, uh, personnel excuse me, match up with Buffalo's? There are two guys that I really think are going to have to stick or to play above and beyond defensively for the Pittsburgh Steelers to win this game. In T.J. Watt's absence, that is Alex Highsmith and that is Nick Herbig who are stepping up. Something that Mike Tomlin said in the press conference after our last game, being without T.J. sucks. He's the best defensive player on planet Earth, but we have more depth than we've ever had at that position. He was referring to Marcus Golden, to Herbig, to Alex Highsmith. Well, the fatal flaw with Marcus Golden is that Marcus is really strong. He's really compact. He's going to get a ton of burn in this game, number 44. Marcus doesn't have an elite first step. He is not an explosive guy out of the gate like T.J., so... I don't think Marcus gets a ton of pressure in this game. I think it is down to Herbig. I think it is down to Alex Highsmith. They need to get pressure on Josh Allen. Uh, that is rule number one. Second, Joey Porter Jr. is going to have to shadow Stephon Diggs the entire game. Uh, that's me point blank. I would have him man up with Diggs. Wherever Diggs goes, Joey Porter Jr. goes uh, all game long. And then the third component of this is can Miles Jack and this bare bones linebacker crew, it's likely going to be Mark Robinson and Miles Jack, two guys who are not great in coverage. Their job is going to be able to contain James Cook in the running game and the receiving game and Dalton Kincaid over the middle. That's just a really tall task for me with a lot of injuries on the Steelers defense. The Bills are really talented and ultimately, they're matched up against the league leader in total yards and total 2Ds at the quarterback position. Just a lot to ask for this team to overcome. They've overcome and persevered through a lot of adversity this season. I think this is where it comes to a stop. Now, I laid out the formula last episode. I'll lay out the formula one more time for you if the Steelers are going to get this done. Josh Allen is very turnover prone. Second most turnovers by a QB this season. It is a key component to an upset. The Steelers are going to have to do some voodoo magic, have to force some turnovers, Okay. The Steelers are going to have to dominate on the ground. Najee Harris and Jalen Warren and this offensive line need to control the line of scrimmage. Sumalo and Broderick Jones have been awesome this year. The Steelers have to dominate in the trenches. And then the final component, we got to get a Mason Rudolph legacy game. Mason Rudolph has to play perfect. Controlled football, good decisions at the line of scrimmage, no turnovers, and we have to connect on two big shot plays. I don't know if that's to Deontay Johnson, to George Pickens, to Allen Robinson, whoever the guy is. Mason Rudolph is going to have to play nearly flawless football. Just not a formula I like. It's not a recipe that I'm going to buy into. So I think this is an ugly, disgusting, nasty Pittsburgh Steelers playoff game. I think the Bills are going to win it. Uh, I think it's grimy. I think it's nasty. I'm going 17-15 Buffalo. That's ugly, man. But you lay out the upset path for the Steelers, and I agree with a lot of that. 
Here are my keys to the Steelers upsetting the Bills this weekend. Step one, got to run the ball well. Step two, got to win the turnover battle. Step three, got to summon Randy Orton on the first play from scrimmage to deliver a devastating RKO to James Cook, taking him out of the game. Step four, activate Dalton Kincaid as a sleeper cell to actively tank every single play for the offense. Normally, this would be Gabe Davis's role. He's just been doing this week to week, but he's out for this game. So you got to go somewhere else with a double agent. Step five, at halftime, swap out Josh Allen's water for a glass of warm milk, okay? This will put him right to bed. He's done for the game. Step six also has to be done at halftime. Put Stefan Diggs in an I actually left Josh Allen simulator and then watch in horror as he transports to the 2023 Atlanta Falcons where Arthur Smith, who's still there in this world, is just using him as a decoy every play. Desmond Ritter is falling on his face and fumbling every play only for Mac Collins to lead the team in receiving with 300 yards, okay? That's going to traumatize Diggsy to the point where he can't return to the field of play and now you've knocked out basically all of the Bills' best players. Step seven, though, and this is a crucial one. Mm -hmm. Hire Mark Wahlberg to jump out of the stands, look Sean McDermott sternly in the eyes, and say, if I was on that plane, things would have gone down differently. Boom. There's your upset. Steelers win. Tell me that wouldn't work. Anyways, yeah. I think that was a cherry on top, man. Yeah. That was a cherry on top. It's important. Very important component of the Steelers' upset. Uh, enough said. I'm ready to move on. Well, here's here's what I'll say beyond <laughs> that. I think it is very unlikely the Steelers win this game, obviously. You said it. They're 1-10 without TJ. And uh, Josh, although he has had the propensity even more so this year than in years previous to at times make those boneheaded plays, historically in the playoffs, he buttons up He gets serious. Mm -hmm. He doesn't turn his brain off. In eight career playoff games, he has just four picks, two fumbles lost. We've mostly gotten the best version of Josh in the playoffs, and we've gotten a version of him who doesn't do stupid things, who doesn't make mistakes. I have the Bills winning 31-10. to I wonder if they can have that dynamic and offensive performance in the snow, but they've been pretty damn good in the snow. So I think that they can. I think that this is the biggest gap in terms of just caliber as a football team in any matchup this weekend. Bruce said 31 to 10. I did. You said 17 to 15, pal. That seems optimistic to me. That seems optimistic, but I was honestly expecting you to pick the Steelers outright, so I'm a little bit disappointed on that front. But either way, either way, my heart, my heart always says Steelers. My brain says Bills. Yeah, I'm gonna have you doing a Kramer impersonation in front of a. No, no, not in that sense. Not in that sense. Not a Michael Richards impersonation. I can't do that. Not a Michael Richards impersonation. Kramer. I'm just gonna Jer. Jeez, Jer. I'm gonna have you doing that stuff. I'm not gonna have you. Saying horrible you racist have, things. Jesus. Carson, you've effectively said that this performance I'm going to put on when the Steelers lose, <laughs> I'm going to be a rapist and a racist no! at the end of it. No. No. I'm you simply talking Cosby about your comedy Kramer. influences. I'm talking about your comedy influences. And then if you sprinkle a little Louis C.K. in there, good, dude. Another one of the comedy greats. 
DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is bringing you an offer that'll help make the playoffs electrifying. New customers can bet five bucks on any game and get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can bet just five bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code NERDS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, let's move to the NFC. Packers, Cowboys, what you got? <laughs> All right, I'm a Cowboys hater, right? I got to preface this because I hate the Cowboys. Uh, I have the Cowboys winning this one 31 to 23. What I think is the most interesting dynamic of this is this elite quarterback battle that we have going on mm-hmm. here between Mr. Dak and Mr. Jordan Love. Dak Prescott, second in total touchdowns and yards this season. Jordan Love, first in basically every passing category post uh, midseason point. Over 2,000 passing yards, 18 TDs, one pick, stupid efficient, 70% completion, 127 passer rating, or 112.7 passer rating, excuse me. He was fourth in total TDs this season. It's going to be a showdown, legitimately, between these two quarterbacks. Like, if you had told me... Mm-hmm. preseason this was a battle that we were oh, you know two mid guys right these are guys who are legitimately two of the 10 best quarterbacks in all of football this season I think that is the most interesting dynamic of this football game yeah the difference maker for me is two things the Packers are one of the youngest teams in all of football experience matters to me in the stage and the Cowboys mm-hmm. just have that advantage across the board any position group you look at from quarterback to running back to wide out to line to d-line like the Packers are just young the Cowboys just have the experience across the board. So, and I also think it's an interesting dynamic that, you know what I mean? Like, we're getting uh, Browns-Texans, we're getting Rams-Lions with the Stafford-Lions dynamic, we're getting Browns-Texans with the Watson-Browns-Texans angle, we're getting this angle with McCarthy and the Packers. It's, it's The script writers went crazy for this wild card round. The difference to me is the experience factor, the best player on the field factor, which I think is just Micah Parsons unequivocally, and the third factor to me is that we're in Jerry World. And weird things happen at Jerry World. And the Cowboys have a nice home field advantage here. And that the fact that we got to wait for the Cowboys' collapse. We have to build to it. We have to crescendo to the collapse. We have to get all the Cowboys fans tingly and excited and think that the Super Bowl is on the horizon. And then right as they're about to grasp it, they're going to crap the bed in the divisional round against the Lions and lose. So we got to have a great opening wild card game. And then we have to break all the Cowboys' hearts uh, in the second round. So they'll have a great game here against Green Bay. I think this is going to be a fantastic performance. Close game, 31-23. to The Cowboys outlast them. Uh, but it's coming. It's coming. I think that we view this game very similarly. I am all in on Jordan Love. I think this Packers defense has been good the last couple weeks. This pass rush overall has been legit, but it's what you said. Go up and down the roster. What do they do better than the Cowboys? If Jordan Love has been a top 10 quarterback 
out of the healthy guys this year, which he has. And in the mm-hmm. second half of the year, he's been even better than that. But let's say over the course of the year, he's a top 10 quarterback. Dak's been a top five quarterback. Dak was second team all pro. Dak has been consistently really, really good in a way that Love hasn't. He's grown into his game, but we saw some bumps and bruises early in the year. The Cowboys have better weapons. They have similar lines, I would say, these two teams and similar run games. And then the Cowboys defense is better. They have more elite players. They have the best player on the field factor. Absolutely. They have the better coordinator defensively. Dan Quinn is legit. Joe Barry, I think you have some questions. So (laughs) the expectations for these two teams are very different. It's like what we talked about with Texans and Browns, although I view those teams as a bit more similar because I think the Texans have such a big quarterback advantage there. But it's the difference of expectations. Coming into the year, the Cowboys, and throughout the year, were like a potential Super Bowl contender. The Packers were 3-6 and six not that long ago. And I think they are the youngest team in football. And this is Jordan Love's first year as a starter. And none of their receiving weapons, even as those guys have grown into their games, were established dudes coming into this year. The one mm-hmm. who you could argue was, Christian Watson, has been maybe the fourth best out of the group. So... It's really impressive the Packers are here. I think they can absolutely put up a fight. I just struggle yeah. to find their advantages in this matchup. And uh, I, I completely agree. The The final component to me has been Dak and CD's excellence this year. Shout, shout out to CD, too. He gets um, first team. Uh, uh, the first team All-Pro as well. Thank you. Uh, it was it was Tyreek, it was CD, and it was Amon Ross St. Brown, right? Um, it was I think, definitely Tyreek I, I and CD. I think Amon Ra was the third one. Those are uh, well-deserved for CD, and that is the final component of this to me, is that, like, it's it's like golf and Amon Ra. It's like Tyreek and Tua, but I think Dak and CD are probably the best QB wideout uh, duo in football, like, consistently week-to-week every game. And that's really where the Packers' defense is at its weakest, is in that intermediate area behind the linebackers in front of the safeties, Cowboys have been doing that to teams all year. I just think Dak and CD pick this team apart enough and make big plays. So that's the X's and O's component of it, too. I think Dak and CD run circles around this team. Uh, to, yeah, The bottom's going to fall out at some point. I just don't think it's going to be this game. Yeah, if we're talking about the number one quarterback receiver duo in the league right now, I think it probably is Dak and CD, the toughest one to have them over for me would still be Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. But I think Ooh, that you know CD what? is pretty concretely better than Diggsy right now. That 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 one is close. It's and very uh, close. I will say like like at the peak of their powers, um Jettas and Kirk, you know, Jamar and Burrow, but with help oh, this year. Jamar and Burrow for sure. Yeah. I was thinking about yeah. who's available right now. And, you know, Herbert Her- Herbert and Allen too, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey. Hurts and AJ Brown. Back in the day. True. Back before Hurts fell <laughs> back, off. Back eight, eight long weeks ago. <laughs> eight long weeks ago when AJ was setting every single record for consecutive 125-yard games. And Jalen Hurts was the MVP front runner. Long time ago. Long, long time ago now, Logan. All right. So I think you foreshadowed your pick in this one when you talked about the Cowboys' next matchup. But who do you have in Rams-Lions? This is the game that I'm most excited for in the playoff slate. I cannot wait to watch this one. It is the most intriguing game to me. We have Matthew Stafford's return to Detroit and an interesting role reversal of these two quarterbacks. You know, you had your question marks on if Goff could be a franchise guy, and Goff slung the hell out of the ball this season. I know Goff had his gaffes. He had his Jared Gaff games. He had his Jared Goof games. He had his Jared Goober games. You know... 
He can do that. But he, he was fourth in total yards this season. Goff was slinging. Amon Ra, Laporta, moving the ball. Like, Goff looked like a franchise guy this season. I'm not saying he is, but he certainly looked like one. And you consider where these teams were. Like, it's one of the most mutually beneficial trades, I think, in NFL history, considering that the Rams got their Super Bowl, have their top five guy, and then the Lions got to kickstart their rebound with some extra, uh, extra assets and, ironically, found their guy. So... When it comes down to me, the Rams have the quarterback advantage. And I thought about going with Los Angeles because of that factor, because I just think Matthew Stafford is better. The difference to me is the line of scrimmage. And I think the Lions have the line of scrimmage advantage on both sides of the football. Now, I want to be clear about something, too. The Rams have been able to run the hell out of the ball. Kyron Williams dominated this year. They slung the hell out of the football. They are great in the trenches. I just think the Lions are better. I think they can dominate a little more possession to possession, uh, Penny Sewell, also All-Pro first team, deservedly so. On the other side, Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson to me, you know, because we do all these pass rush analytics, and that's why I think Miles Garrett, um, if he is going to get Defensive Player of the Year over TJ, it's going to be because of the advanced analytics, the double teams, the win rate, all that. Aiden Hutchinson is the guy to me that really pops off the page when you look at the advanced numbers. Hutchinson doesn't have the gaudy sack numbers, the gaudy QB hits, the knockdowns. But he pressures the quarterback as much as the elite guys. Bosa, Watt, Garrett. Pressure's the most important factor. Pressure busts pipes. Pressure ruins quarterbacks. And I just think that, you know, shout out Aaron Donald too. The Lions, to me, have the best players on the trenches side of things going up against each other. hold on. Do you think that Aiden Hutchinson is better than Aaron Donald? Save Aaron Donald. Okay. Uh, Aaron is the best guy on the field, but I think that those two guys have dominated. The Lions have at the line of scrimmage. That's what it comes down to. That being said, I think this one comes down to the wire. I'm going 30-28 Detroit. The home mm. field advantage matters to mm. me that Detroit is at home and the line of scrimmage advantage. I think it's a shootout. I think we're going to see some points get put up on the board here. Yeah. And I can see the Rams winning this one. But I'm going to give it to Detroit, 30-28. So, I have a very similar score but I have the winning teams flipped. I think that this is one of the couple of toss-ups that I mentioned at the top of the show, and I'm super excited for this game. And like Texans-Browns, this is a revenge game for both sides. I mean, they literally swapped quarterbacks. Like, it doesn't get much more uh, exciting than that. And it's two damn good offenses. The Rams are red hot. Not counting Week 18, which doesn't matter because Stafford didn't play, you know. It was a meaningless game for them. They've won six of their last seven, and they still won that game, but I'm just saying for stats, it doesn't matter. It was a different team. Their only loss came to the Ravens on a punt return in overtime when Lamar had basically played a perfect game. The Rams themselves put up 31 points, and that's the best team in the league. They are averaging in that stretch 29.3 points per game and 404 yards per game. So they have been an awesome offense, and Stafford has been phenomenal has clearly been a top five healthy quarterback. I would give him the edge above Dak. That's one thing I would change from when we did our quarterback rankings uh, a few weeks ago. I had Dak four and Stafford five. I would flip the two of them. I think he is doing so much special stuff with his arm talent and his aggression as a passer, just throwing into windows that other dudes wouldn't dare and putting balls right on the money with perfect velocity, perfect placement. He is making this offense super dangerous, as are the awesome weapons I think their receiving weapons are more dynamic than what the Lions have. All the respect in the world to Amon Ra and to Sam Laporta. It's close, but I think that that tandem of 
Puka and Cooper Cup is pretty deadly. And yes, the Lions line is definitely more dominant, but the Rams have still been running the ball really, really well. Both of these defenses are flawed. I probably slightly prefer the Rams, but they both have issues. And so the difference maker to me is my faith in the quarterback play. And I understand the argument to say, hey, the trenches leads to a very reliable offensive success rate, which I do think is true. And I think that that's been true for the Lions. But in this one game playoff environment, it does concern me that Jared Goff for the last two months, I mean, he was like pretty spotless for eight weeks. And then the last two months, he's been half really good, half really bad. The multiple turnover games have come back. The games where it feels like he just doesn't have that feel, doesn't have that IQ, that awareness. Those have popped back up. And so because of that, I actually feel like even though they aren't as dominant in the trenches, the Rams have the more reliable formula because Stafford has week in, week out just been nails. So it's it's very close. I think these are two really good football teams. This is not at all an anti-Lions take. This is a pro-Rams take and really a pro-Stafford take as well. I have them winning this one 30-27. Wow, yeah, really similar scores. I mean, Stafford is in his old stomping grounds too, Carson. I can 100% see him coming out here and reliving the glory days, slinging the ball all over the yard. And again, this is against the Detroit defense and secondary that is gotten dotted up by kind of everybody. You know, I mean, they... I really, and that was one of the fundamental takes that I think I just got wrong earlier this year. Uh, I know the Lions have had their fair share of injuries throughout the season. I just don't think they were as talented. I, I consistently said throughout the year, I expect this Lions defense to get a lot better as the season goes along. And they have. I want to be clear about that. I think they've gotten better. It hasn't been as dramatic as an improvement, and this secondary still leaves a lot to be desired. I can see this happening, too. I think this is going to be an uber, uber competitive game. It is. It is. I had to go upset somewhere, and this felt to me like yeah. the spot to pick it. All right. Last game of the divisional round, and then we'll quickly run through our theoreticals, and then we'll get to coaching stuff. Eagles Bucks, Monday night, Logan. Your boy Baker, his moment to shine. Does he come through for Tampa? What do you think? You're damn right. I you got to pick an upset in the wild card round. Got to. And I'm taking Baker Mayfield to take down them, the birds. Love it. I'm taking the Bucks 23-20. Something that I spoke a lot about with this Eagles turnaround. Wow. Uh, excuse me, turnaround. This Eagles collapse. Yeah. They still turned around. They still turned yes, around. They did. Turn around they and walked off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> the Eagles season has come to a screeching halt. Hey, man, that works. That's kind of a double entendre. Screeching That's Eagles. Good. You should be Shut a writer. out. Yeah. <laughs> they have absolutely zero momentum right now. They went one and five in the final six weeks. Blowout losses to the Niners and Cowboys, losses to the Cardinals, Giants, and Seahawks. And their sole win in that span came against the Tommy DeVito Tyrod Taylor tandem for the Giants. They have the number 30 scoring defense, and they are allowing 25 points per game this season. That to me is the difference. I think the Buccaneers can expose Philadelphia's most fatal flaw. Their pass defense. They've allowed the second most passing yards to quarterbacks this season, and they've allowed the second most receiving yards to receivers this season. You think about the weapons on the other side. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both notched 1,000-yard campaigns. Mike Evans was obviously way more wildly successful in the red zone. He had 13 TDs this season, could notch some more in this game. And then they have Rashad White, who I think in a matchup against this secondary and these linebackers, when you're thinking about Baker Mayfield getting the ball out to his playmakers, 
is an invaluable weapon to have. He's an elite receiving back. He is an explosive guy. Those three guys were the difference to me and why I picked the Bucks to win the division. It wasn't an uber faith in Baker. It was my faith in Baker to lead men, to lead an offense, and to not screw it up, to get the ball to playmakers. Those guys are all healthy for this game. They are huge components in why the Bucks' offense was great this season and why I think they can attack Philly's biggest weakness. And then you think about Philly's biggest strength. I think Tampa Bay can neutralize Philly's greatest strength, their running game. The Eagles' offense, number 10 total rushing offense by uh, yardage output. The Buccaneers' defense, number 5 uh, rushing defense by yardage and number 8 by rushing yards per attempt. So I think they can expose their biggest flaw and they can neutralize their biggest strength. My one concern is with my shining dear boy, Baker Mayfield. Can he get the guys the rock? Baker's obviously been dealing with an ankle and rib injury. I think it has clearly hampered and hindered him these past two weeks. And this offensive line has not been doing him any favors. Baker's been getting lit up these past couple weeks. That scares me. That scares me a lot. Because Baker has to get the ball to his playmakers for them to win the game. Like, they put up nine points on the Panthers, man. Not really a resounding... Not a resounding Week 18 heading into the wild card weekend. That being said, why am I going to quit on them now, man? Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers have been my boys for the entire season. I can't just quit on them right now. Baker, I've ridden with you all season long, baby. We got to plant the flag, and we got to get this dub down uh, for all the haters. I'm rocking yeah. with Baker Mayfield and the Bucks, 23-20. Look, man, regardless of what happens, and even if, as my dream prophesied, Baker has a playoff disaster class and all of the hype goes away. You nailed this take. Before the year, you had them winning the division. You put your faith in Baker. I said Baker sucks. I said this is a four-win team. And even though I still think the Bucks are aggressively mid, and I think that Baker is a below-average starter, I mean, you're, you called it. You called it. He was good enough, and his team was good enough to win the worst division in football. So that's a win for you regardless. And... I'm picking against them, but I'm scared about it. And it's not that I'm scared of the Bucs nearly as much as it's I'm scared of betting on the Eagles because you mentioned the disastrous run that they've been on. These injuries now are terrifying. They could be without A.J. Brown. They could be without Reed Blankenship. Jalen Hurts apparently hasn't thrown a ball since he totally messed up his finger in that last game. So that's scary. That's scary when a team that has already firmly trending downwards right into the gutter is potentially going to be missing several more key players, but I still have more faith in them dominating up front. I think that they pretty decisively win there with that line, which is still elite and they haven't been as efficient running the football. They haven't been as creative offensively overall and running the football, but I just think that's a matchup that they still win and they can commit to. And even injured, I still have more faith in Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts could barely be able to throw the ball, honestly. And I still think the threat that he poses as a rusher. Baker's just been wildly inconsistent this year, man. I know that the bottom line numbers look pretty good. But, and that's really just talking about, like, touchdown to interception ratio, honestly. The other numbers, the efficiency numbers, the overall production numbers, those, those don't look as good. They're okay. But... The last couple weeks, he's been brutal. And there's been those performances where he's just inaccurate and the decision-making is poor. And I don't have enough faith in him to say, hey, go out there and win a playoff football game against a team that I still think 
is more talented. I still think the Eagles have more talent as a football team. And the first time they met, Philly just ran it down Tampa's throats. They dominated. They had over 200 rushing yards. And the Bucs couldn't run at all. And that has remained an issue for them. Like, props to Rashad White. But as has been the case for them, at least close to it these last few years, every season, they are dead last in rushing yards. And they are dead last in rushing yards per attempt. And so when you're that singularly reliant on Baker, even against a very flawed passing defense, really a bad passing defense with Philly, it's not enough for me to have confidence in them going out there and winning this game. And the Bucs just haven't beaten good teams this year, man. Like, what's their best win? They beat the Packers. That's a good win. That's it. That's the only team in the playoff field. You know, I'm not super impressed by beating the Panthers twice by a total of 12 points. I'm not super impressed by splitting with the Falcons. I'm not super impressed by beating the Titans. Like, they've just taken care of business against lots of really mediocre teams. And they won the mid-off. They did, and this could be another mid-off, but I'm going to bet on the more talented football team. I have the Eagles winning, again, a very similar score to you, just reversed, 24-20. to 20. I love when people count Baker Mayfield out, man. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. You really love it. That's your guy. We'll see, man. Listen, he's proven me wrong. Perhaps he can do it again. All right, let's move forward. So now we're into our hypothetical matchups, divisional round. Let's start in the AFC. What's your prediction for that first game? The Ravens won against the Browns. Yeah, so Browns travel to Baltimore again. If we get this matchup, ooh-wee. Woo, Joe Flacco returns to the old stomping grounds in Baltimore with Cleveland. Two hard-nosed defenses, AFC North battle. Man, that's going to be an awesome, like, and that's not one where I think we can just let Lamar off the hook. I know a lot of people have said this coming into the playoffs. The last two teams the Baltimore Ravens want to see in this playoff field are Cleveland and Pittsburgh, because that's going to be a grueling, (laughs) nasty, ugly game. Carson, Mm -hmm. Lamar Jackson is 2-4 against the Pittsburgh Steelers in his career, and earlier this season, they lost 17-10. He's a beast. He has legitimately sucked against the Steelers in every matchup of his career. He also holds that football like a loaf of bread. Are you the di- <laughs> are you a different beast but still the same animal? What he the is. fuck are you talking about, Kobe Bryant? He um, is. Lamar how might crazy, be. He how is crazy a in beast. retrospect, just real quick, that there was a commercial where Kanye was like the normal guy reacting to the crazy guy. Yeah. Right? Yeah, pretty wild. Continue. Different different time different period in history, man. Yeah. Different timeline. I would take Baltimore marginally. If you had to press me on a final score or a spread, I would say Baltimore wins this by three points. Uh, I think it would be a great game. The difference is for me, Baltimore, I think, has the better defense. Cleveland has an awesome defense. I think Baltimore's is better. I think the things that they do pre-snap at the line of scrimmage to disguise coverages uh, is just huge. I think they can get pressure on anybody. I think they have a completely overwhelmingly talented defense. I just think the Ravens are the better team with the better quarterback. Again, this is not going to be an easy game. If we get it, I think the Browns are going balls to the walls. It's going to be a battle. But give me Baltimore. Give me the better team, the rested one, the better defense, the better QB. Uh, I would take Baltimore to win this. Yeah, I mean, you laid it out. They're just a better all-around football team. They run the ball better. They're better at the line of scrimmage. And they have by far the better quarterback. And I think they have the even better defense. The Browns did beat them the one time this year, but that was such a weird game. Like, they had the pick six right after 
that touchdown in the fourth and they erased a 14 point deficit real quick. It feels to me like outlier things like that have to happen for the Browns to beat the Ravens. I just think there's far more versions of this game where Baltimore, the better team all around, just takes care of business. And they're healthier. And they're healthier. It's true. Which is an unbelievable thing to be saying for the Ravens. But like, as we look at this playoff field, they are remarkably one of the less banged up teams. Crazy. They have been so cursed in recent years, but but not this time. The uh, the other matchup we got out in the AFC for me, I believe you have the same one, right? Bills yep. at Chiefs? No, Chiefs at Bills. Respect the Bills. Chiefs at Bills, excuse me. Yes, Chiefs at Bills. It's going to be an awesome game. I mean, the last, two, last time these two teams faced off in the playoffs is obviously a 13-second game. Carson and I peeked behind the curtain. We're watching that game together. Uh, I flipped the table that was in front of me. Uh, I punched True. the wall in my room. Uh, Carson just stood there stoically, almost not even, not even astounded, not even, not even, you know, dude, you weren't even shocked. It's like it didn't even, you were almost ready for the grueling gut punch that the Bills were about to deliver for us. I was livid because I hated the fact that, well, one, that you couldn't see Josh Allen, your beautiful boy, go to the Super Bowl, but also the fact that Patrick Mahomes is going to get to go to another one. Ugh. 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 Screw you, Leslie Frazier. I don't think the Bills win a rematch. They could. I I think this would probably be a battle of the two best teams in the playoff field. Where they're at. I mean, the two best QBs, uh, I I think, in football. I mean, that would be an awesome battle. I love it when we get a Josh Mahomes one. I think this would also come down to the wire. I'm going to take the team with the better defense, with the better quarterback. But it's not like I can't see it happening. I could see an upset, but I'm going to take the Chiefs. Yeah. This is an interesting one. We had this conversation a couple weeks back about who we felt was more dangerous going into the playoffs. And I said that I was going to give the edge to the Chiefs for the exact reasons that you laid out. Better defense, better quarterback. I'm flipping on that. I think that in this head-to-head matchup with home field for the Bills, I am going to take them. Yes, they have been inconsistent. There's no question. But against good teams recently... They've been pretty damn impressive. Their last three games against good teams, I mean, they dominated the Cowboys. They beat the Chiefs. They took care of business against the Dolphins where, yeah, they shot themselves in the foot a couple times, but they outgained them by like 200 yards. Like they should have dominated that game by more than the final scoreboard indicated. And I would think that that speaks to something that's real about this Bills team where they play down to inferior competition and it's frustrating and it's stupid. But when the stakes are high, when they rise to the occasion, when they need to go on a five-game win streak to get into the playoffs. When Josh needs to to summon his highest level, they do it. And really, there's no better test of that than the Kansas City Chiefs, who have been the kings of the AFC. And the Bills, contrary to seemingly because people think that they've only ever met twice in the playoffs, and that's the extent of their history in these recent years, they've really outplayed the Chiefs in their matchups recently. They've won three of their last four, and all of those have come on the road and Josh has been awesome in those matchups he has a pass rating of 112 averaging over 300 passing yards per game 11 touchdowns to one pick in those last four games while he's also giving you another 48 rushing yards per game and has given you two touchdowns on the ground when Josh is playing at that level the Bills are really really tough to beat and we've just seen a higher ceiling for this Bills offense than we've ever seen for the Chiefs this year the Chiefs offense hasn't exploded the Bills sure they've been up and down but they've had explosive performances. They end the year overall as a much better, more productive offense. And I do think that the Chiefs' defense is definitely better than the Bills because 
the Chiefs defense might be one of the three best in football and has just consistently uh, limited opposing offenses. But the Bills defense has improved. There was a time in the middle of the season where it felt like they were squandering every game. They couldn't make timely plays. They were just too decimated by the losses of key personnel. And now I think some of those guys who have had to step up into larger roles have been playing better. The secondary dudes, I think, have stepped up. The front is getting pressure. Daquan Jones is now back. That was one of the key three losses earlier. And since that Eagles game, where the defense did kind of blow it, I mean, Josh played an awesome game. The offense was awesome. Since that, though, in this win streak they're on, they're allowing just 276 yards per game and 16.8 points per game. And sure, you know, you got sort of a fluff game against the Chargers and the Patriots in there. But that's also the Chiefs, the Cowboys, and the Dolphins who figure into those numbers. So the defense is definitely playing a lot better than it was earlier in the year. And I've just seen the Bills reach a ceiling that the Chiefs have not this year. They've beaten five playoff teams. The Chiefs have beaten one. They have at least gotten really hot against good competition. And that offense has been firing at a really explosive level. That hasn't happened for the Chiefs all year. So knowing that, Knowing that ceiling, knowing the Bills play the Chiefs well, knowing that Josh is going to take this game seriously, which means you get the best version of him historically, knowing that they are at home, I'm going to go Bills here. It is, it's very tight for me, but the Chiefs, everything is just so faith-based and the Bills may be erratic, but those highs have been higher and I think you got to reach a high high in this matchup because one of these two teams is going to play really well and I have more faith in the Bills finding the best version of themselves that's more impressive than what the Chiefs have shown this year. Great terminology. I like the logic, too. I have more faith in in Kansas City. I get it. I get it. I totally see I mean, that. until, literally, and I, I, I will say this, until I see Mahomes losing the playoffs, I don't think I can pick against him. I, like, I, I just, I can't. Well, he has lost in the playoffs, but yeah. Only in the well, AFC no, Championship since, game. Since, since to Brady, he's, he hasn't lost. Before the Super Bowl, well, he lost to Burrow in the Bengals. True, yeah. true. So we have seen him lose but twice. It's rare. But I'm, it's rare. It's a little bit tough to wrap yeah. your head around, but at some point, you are who you are, man. And the Chiefs offense just hasn't been that good all year. So we'll see. That's one of the toughest games for me to pick. Okay, let's go to the NFC. You have the Niners against the Bucks in this Tampa one. Bay. What's your prediction? Yeah. It's Baker Mayfield versus the Niners. I'm taking the Niners. Yeah. yeah, I have Niners, Rams, and I think I'm pretty confident in San Francisco here. They just have big talent advantages on both sides of the ball. The upset formula here would be special Stafford, Brock disaster. I'm just not sure that this Rams defense is the one that's going to make Brock uncomfortable, that's going to bring out the questionable decision-making from him. San Francisco's a lot better, and uh, I have them winning this one. Okay, what about the other divisional game for you in the NFC? Lions-Cowboys is when the building will come crashing down. Wow. This is what I predicted in the preseason. Now, it was slightly different. Uh, I thought that the Dallas Cowboys were going to win the NFC straight up, get a first-round bye, and then I had the Lions and Eagles meeting in the NFC title game. So it's slightly different from my preseason prediction, but pretty similar. The Cowboys and Lions will still meet in the NFC divisional round. Uh, I had very similar Lions traveling to Dallas and winning, and I'm going to stick with that. I think the Lions upset Dallas in Jerry World. Dallas should have lost earlier this year. You know, I mean, I thought Detroit got absolutely hosed in mm -hmm. that game. Uh one of the worst endings I've seen, and, and that's a really big 
thing for me is I think if we get this matchup, Dan Campbell is going to have these guys ready to run through a freaking wall. I mean, Detroit, this fan base has so many demons to exercise in this building. The Pettigrew game, what happened this season, yeah. I think Detroit's going to play harder. And I think Detroit is going to come in. They might pound Dallas in this wow. game. I think I think Detroit is going to play with a vengeance, and I say they win by two to three scores. Whoa. Give me Detroit. Detroit goes to the NFC title game for the first time, baby, since they had Scott, Scott Mitchell. Mitchell. Biggest loser, Scott Mitchell, with Barry Sanders. First NFC title game for the Lions since the 1990s. Give me Detroit, baby. Who else was on that team? Did they have Herman Moore in the boys at that time? Her- Herman Moore, I believe, was on that roster. Mm. I think it was 1994, if I'm not mistaken. Let's have a look. I'm going through the history books. 91. 91 is when they made. So I think that, is that even, that's before Scott Mitchell. That's Eric Kramer and Rodney Pete, bro. That wasn't Scott Mitchell. Mm-hmm. Their leading receiver wow. was Brett Perriman with 668 yards. How about that? Special stuff. That's ridiculous. Let me find but, exactly. But you know what, what they did, Logan? I'm... You know what they did in the divisional round? You're gonna love this in 1991. They beat the Dallas Cowboys 38 to six. How about that for a historical precedent? Yeah, I, I can see it. I do think the Cowboys are the better all-around football team, though, and I think the separator to me is the defense. And so I have the Cowboys beating the Eagles in the divisional round. I think that they're much better. I don't see anything that Philly does better right now. Dallas has clearly the better quarterback with the level we've seen from Hertz recently, clearly the better defense, even coaching. Honestly, I think when you've taken Nick Sirianni's coordinators away, he's not the sort of guy who is going to bring value in terms of play calling, in terms of creativity. He's just kind of going to manage the game. And uh, when you take away Steichen and Gannon, and so both sides of the ball regress, he's not the fix there. Whereas McCarthy at least still has a really active role in that offense. So at home, give me Dallas. They're just better all around. Tangent here for you nerd sessions who are interested. Dude, Scott Mitchell in 1995 threw for 32 TDs, 12 picks, and 4,400 yards. Mm, Ahead of his time. That's ridiculous. Ahead of his time. Yeah, shout out to him. Something like that. But that that was the year that Herman Moore and Brett Perriman were like one of the most productive receiving duos ever, Mm -hmm. which always stands out. Yeah, so they lose They lose in the wild card that round. So if Detroit were to do this stat correction here, not Scott Mitchell, Eric Kramer, 1991. That's crazy, man. Okay, one last fun fact about the 90s Lions. That year, with Scott Mitchell and the crazy dynamic receiving duo, bro, they lost to the Eagles 58-37. to And they were down yeah. in the third quarter, 51-7, to bro. Good God almighty. Jeepers creepers. Good googly mugly. All right, championship round, AFC. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. 
Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ravens, Chiefs, what you got? Chiefs and Ravens, difference for me is my faith in the quarterback position. And hear me out. Lamar Jackson, the reason that we gave him the MVP award was because he consistently played great. Mm-hmm. Every other quarterback had their games where they goofed. If it was Dak, if it was Brock, if it was Hurts, all had their bad games. Lamar never played a bad game. And I don't expect Lamar to play a bad game. I don't think it's in his genes. Yeah. And I think he might turn the ball over once or twice in a game, but I don't think he's going to outright play a bad football game. The thing about the Ravens is that they move the ball well, they uh, extend drives better than anybody else, they convert crucial downs, and they don't put up a lot of points because they don't have as many explosive plays. Same thing goes for the Chiefs. What I'm getting at here is even if the Chiefs' offense falters for a little bit, even if they struggle, I think their defense can keep Baltimore in check enough to where they don't run up the score. I think this is a close, low-scoring football game between two elite quarterbacks, and I think that the Chiefs can slow the Ravens down enough to keep this low-scoring, and the Chiefs just need to muster two to three TDs to win this one. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs to return to the Super Bowl after a a win on the road in Baltimore. Your faith in Mahomes honestly makes sense given the historical precedent. Like you said, they've been in the championship game every year. They've been in the Super Bowl three of the five years. This is the best defense that he's had. I mean, this is the same formula that, to me, made them the AFC favorite for a time this year. But there just comes a point where you got to see that offensive production. And maybe the Ravens' offense isn't, like, the most explosive, but it's it's pretty explosive, and it's exploded a few times in recent weeks. It exploded mm-hmm. against the Rams. It exploded against the Dolphins. Maybe it didn't explode against the Niners, but they still put up 33, and they finished drives when they were given opportunities. They've averaged a touchdown more per game than the Chiefs this year. They're scoring 28.4. The Chiefs are scoring 21.8. Mm-hmm. I just think they're the better all-around football team. I do, but I can't totally knock it. I can't totally knock your faith in the Chiefs. It just really is a faith in the unseen at this point. I have the Ravens beating the Bills. This is not a particularly tough pick for me. They're just a better football team. They have been much more consistent. Like, that's what does scare me about picking the Bills to even make it this far is, yeah, the highs have been high, but boy, the lows have been low. And they could lay an egg at any time. Josh could have three turnovers, right? The defense could not play all that well, and that's possible. And against the Ravens, that's just a team who hasn't really laid duds like that. Better defense, better run game, equal at quarterback. 
I think that it would require a Josh masterclass for the Bills to win this game. And I'm just going to bet on what I believe is the best team in football over that. Incredible, Logan. It's really, I admire your faith in the Chiefs and the fact that you still have them here. All right, let's go to the NFC. You've got Niners-Lions. Who you got going to the Super Bowl? Yeah, and I have kept my faith in both of these teams since the midway point. This was my Super Bowl prediction at the midway point. I will have the Niners defeating Detroit at home, and we will get a Super Bowl rematch, sub-Jimmy G, for Mr. Brock Purdy. Obviously, some things are a little different, but uh, Chiefs-Niners is what I'm rocking with. I think in a hypothetical, I don't think the Lions, the big advantage for Detroit over basically every other football team is their dominance in the line of scrimmage. I don't think they can dominate against San Francisco like Mm. that with what they do there defensively and offensively, considering the fact that now they added Chase Young into the fold. Yeah. I don't think the Lions can just manhandle the San Francisco's lines the way they can other teams. There is a quarterback difference to me. I mean, if Brock Purdy doesn't play a great game, I could see – I'm getting baffled, but like you said, it really took the best defense in the NFL to really rattle Brock Purdy and to force him to play a horrible game. I just don't think Detroit's even remotely close to that level. Yeah. So, I mean, this may be a competitive game. This may be close. I'd probably take the Niners to win by 10. Yeah, I'm confident in the Niners against the Cowboys in my matchup. And obviously, they sort of limped to the finish here just because they had that Ravens loss and then played a game against the commanders that people didn't really care about. And then they didn't play anybody or they didn't play, you know, Brock and some of their key players against the Rams, but this team is still a buzzsaw to me. And it is still Ravens, Niners, and everybody else, just in terms of the caliber of football that they've played this year. I think that they have a skill position, talent advantage, certainly against the Cowboys. I think they have the coaching advantage. I think overall that is a more dominant defense, And the first time these two teams met, it was a blowout of epic proportions. I just trust that Niners formula more. I do. Even though the Cowboys have the better quarterback, nobody has covered up for the limitations of their quarterback better than the Niners with Brock Purdy this year. And they have such special special play calling and skill position talent and the ability to run the ball at such a high level. I just think they are going to produce against the Cowboys. And I don't expect it to be like last time where they dominated. There was a big turnover differential, but they were just overall the far better football team. I think it's more competitive. And maybe if Dak really does ball out, that's how Dallas wins. But I have more faith in the Niners. All right, Super Bowl time. We both have San Francisco there. You have Kansas City. What's your pick? WHPM, we have Patrick Mahomes. That is the motto for the faith. Of the Kansas City Chiefs, I am taking the Chiefs uh, to defeat the 49ers in the Super Bowl. They got the best quarterback in football. I watched Tom Brady do this shit for 20 years. It crushed my soul. Pittsburgh Steelers never beat that SOB in the playoffs. Hurts me to this day. I saw it. I saw it for 20 years. I bet against Tom every time. Every time he crushed a little Logan, he brought me to (laughs) tears. Patrick Mahomes has done the same thing to me. He has brought adult Logan to tears. So instead of shunning Mahomes and hating him the way that I did with Tom Brady, Patrick, I will embrace you. I will welcome your talents, your abilities, your dominance, your grace, your elegance. Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback I've ever seen with my own eyes. I'm going to take him to win the Super Bowl. I think he's the best quarterback on planet Earth. I think the Chiefs have one of the best defenses in the NFL. 
I saw that formula win a lot of Super Bowls up in uh, Foxborough, and I think this year that is the formula and the recipe for Kansas City to get it done. I'm not getting betting against Mahomes. I think he hoists another Lombardi and another Super Bowl MVP. Bro said, I will embrace your grace, your elegance. That was a bit much. He's the man, dude. That was a bit He's much. He's the man. He is. But the man. as inevitable as Brady may have felt, Logan, and he certainly did, even he's only made the Super Bowl every other year, right? Like, it's not literally <laughs> only, inevitable. Only every other but that's what year. I'm saying. If, if Pat misses <laughs> it this year, then it will be every other year for him. And that is like a level of dominance that is unbelievable to attain, that an individual could have that sort of impact in a team sport. And, of course, a bunch of other guys deserve credit, but, like, that is the standard that Brady established. That is the standard that Patrick Mahomes has established. This is the most flawed Chiefs team I think that I've seen, though, definitely since 2018, where even though that was, like, the best offense, it was the worst defense. This is now by far the best defense, but by far the worst offense. So if there is a year that I'm going to fade the Chiefs, it will be this year. So I don't have them there. I have the Ravens. And I do have the Ravens beating the Niners in my Super Bowl. I think these are two stacked football teams. The most talented football teams in the NFL, top to bottom. I think the Ravens have a slight edge defensively. I think the Niners' offensive skill position talent is clearly better. But Baltimore has Lamar Jackson. And my faith in him as such a reliably elite one-man offense, as an elite pure passer at this stage in his career, and the stress that he puts on defenses consistently... That combined with this Baltimore's defense and their potential to make Brock Purdy uncomfortable and to induce him into some of the mistakes that we've seen, to potentially bring out the worst version of him where he is under duress and at times he does try to do too much and he makes killer mistakes because of that. That to me gives the Ravens the edge. I think it was a big difference maker the first time they met and I think that it is the difference maker in the Super Bowl. We've seen the Niners Achilles heel and it is when things go south with Brock. The Ravens haven't shown an Achilles heel. They really haven't. They have been so consistently good, and I want to reward that. And so I am picking them as my Super Bowl champion. It's a little bit chalk to have these two. That's why I like what you're doing with the Chiefs, but it's just like I legitimately think they're that much better than everybody else. And I, I can't reasonably talk myself into an upset here. The Chiefs are intriguing because of Mahomes plus that defense, but like I said, we haven't seen it all come together. Really quick before we get into coaching, I just want to get your – Three scenarios that you're rooting for the most as a football fan. If you mm. could have your ideal playoff scenario, what would you root for outcome-wise? Well, I would certainly like to see the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl. I think that that would well, be fun. Obviously, that's my number one, too, is obviously Mason Rudolph leading yeah. the Steelers to the Super yeah. Bowl. As improbable as that is. I think it would be cool to see the Cowboys there. I think not just because of mm -hmm. the brand, but also because, like, there has been so much talk of them being a team that's on the brink, but people don't respect and people just point to this sort of inevitable and they'll fall short factor. And I think that it would be cool to see them overcome that. And they're a fun team to watch as well. When Dak is on, Micah is like one of the most fun defensive players to watch. Uh, but I would love to see the Ravens there and I would love to see the Niners there. Yeah. Yeah. Those are I've got Mason Rudolph, obviously, Super Bowl run would be sick. Two for me, I'm rooting for Browns-Lions. That would be insane. My two best friends back home in Virginia, uh, shout out Mark, is a Browns fan. Angelo is a Lions fan. I think it would be really cool for them uh, to get to experience that moment. Obviously, neither of those teams have been to the Super Bowl before. Uh, I'm rooting for that scenario. I think that would be gnarly. It would be a weird Super Bowl, but yeah. football is weird. My final scenario, even as a Steelers fan, 
I would love to see Lamar Jackson get that done. Yeah, That's why cool. I don't – in that scenario, I just – to finally cement Lamar, people would have to put up, put their foot in their yeah. mouth, man. Make them eat their words. Yeah. That's the thing for both Lamar and Josh. I think Lamar is clearly better positioned to do it, and this could cap off like a special year for him, MVP and that Super Bowl run. But those are the two guys who are top three quarterbacks in football to me who have consistently been elite, who have led elite team offenses regardless of circumstances, and yet people key in so much on whatever they perceive as like their one weakness and neither of them fit the traditional mold of the like oh my god look at this pocket pass or look at joe burrow oh oh, he's so composed like they do things that are unconventional at the quarterback position but that make them more special than more traditional really good players because they can do things that defenses have to prepare for and adjust to in a different way and that puts a different level of stress on them and I don't think that either of those guys are universally appreciated at the level that they should be. Absolutely, a lot of people do, but there's also people who will just key in and will say, oh, Lamar's not an elite passer, which isn't even true. And we'll just say, oh, Josh turns the ball over too much, which he by far outweighs with his greatness. And so it would be cool to see either of them do it, I think. All right, so there are playoff predictions. We are going to talk coaching here just because this is such big news. Bill Belichick is out in New England, Logan. First of all, just give me your initial reaction to that fact itself. Obviously, everybody remembers what Bill did with the New England Patriots, and it is remarkable. He's the greatest head coach in NFL history to me. I don't really care what he did without Tom Brady. Uh, what he did defensively warrants him being noted as the greatest head coach uh, ever. Yeah. He won six Super Bowls, as we all know, with the Pats, the most of any head coach. He also has two more Super Bowl rings when he was defensive coordinator with the Giants, so he's got eight Super Bowl rings. Crazy. Belichick's Pats uh, won the AFC title game nine times. They appeared in the AFC title game 13 times, both of those records. Six and three in the Super Bowl. Most appearances ever in the Super Bowl. 266 in 121 in the regular season. He had 19 consecutive winning seasons. Like, it's ridiculous. He's got the second most career total wins of all time with 333, only second to Don Shula. I mean, <laughs> it's it's really the end of an era. Uh, we saw the quarterbacks, Carson, Big Ben, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan, uh, all of those guys go out, and we're slowly seeing it with the coaches, man. The new era's really taken over. It happened quickly. Uh, it's shocking. You know, I, I waited for, for Belichick to, to go for some time now. Uh, I hated the Patriots, him and Brady. And it's weird to see him go out the door. It doesn't feel real at this point. Uh, I think it's time, man. I think it's time for him to head off into the sunset. You know, I know earlier in the year I had, uh, you know, proposed a potential move to the Chargers I think it's time for, for Bill to go out and enjoy enjoy retirement on the boat, man. Go out and, and relax a little bit. I don't know what this means for Steve. I don't know if he wants to stick around football because I know it's hard, man. You hear, Carson, especially basketball players, football players, athletes that have been trained. Bill Belichick, you know, while he's not a player, has trained his body to get ready for the season, has trained his mind. His entire life has been preparing for football games week in, week out. Uh, and it's hard. This transition, I know, for Bill is going to have to be hard. His entire life has been football, but uh, it's it's the time for him to go out and enjoy it, man, and, and to relax a little bit. I don't know if he can. You know, some of these guys, it really is hard to transition from out of the game. It's a changing of a guard, Carson. It's it's happened really rapidly, and I think over the next couple years, we're probably going to see it happen even quicker. Like Pete Carroll's out the door too. That's another legend of this game. Uh, 
It happened really fast. Uh, Belichick, to me, is the greatest coach of all time. And I, I tip my cap to him. I bid him adieu. There was nobody I got more excited to play as a Pittsburgh Steelers fan than the New England Patriots. You're sick. And those victories were sweet. You're si- they you're were a, sick. A masochist. They were far. They were in between. Nobody fired me up for a football game more than New England. They could. They got me and my dad riled up, and I cherished any victory that we got against New England. It was a little sweeter because it was Bill, because it was Brady, because it was them damn boys from Foxborough. Uh, I have such immense respect uh, for Bill Belichick. Yeah, it seems like he's going to coach again, man. It seems like he is not done with football, and there's lots of rumors about where he may go next. I mean, the guy lives, breathes football. I'm with you. I think that at this point he could certainly step away and leave no questions. But I do think that if he was going to keep coaching – it had to be away from New England. That situation is too broken. That situation is doing his legacy no favors. That's going to lead to Belichick slander. Put him in a more favorable situation where the offensive pieces are already in place. If it is the Chargers, like you mentioned, maybe you need a better offensive coordinator who can retool some things, but he doesn't need to overhaul that offense. But then he can fix a whole lot of defenses, man. He is the best defensive coach that we've ever seen. And I still think he's an awesome defensive coach. Even losing Judon and Christian Gonzalez. Like, that Pat's defense was still pretty good this year. Bill Belichick is going to make you a good team defense. He's going to find value on the margins. He's going to be brilliant schematically. But you just can't make him like this coach GM responsible for all of the hires and every draft pick anymore. I just think he's lost touch on the offensive end a bit. But I think that obviously it makes sense that these two would part ways, that Bill's tenure in New England is done. The one thing that surprises me, even though this was like strongly rumored, is that they are going with Gerard Mayo just because, to me, that's like we want to maintain this defensive mindset, this culture, this really Belichick culture because you're bringing in a Belichick guy, but we don't want Bill to still be the one doing it. To me, it's like your offense is broken. Maybe hard pivot towards an offensive guy who's going to bring you into the next generation. But they want to maintain their cultural identity, and I can see that. Yeah, and considering that this has been heavily rumored literally since the beginning of this season when the Patriots hit the skid, that's why normally when stuff starts out that early, you know what I mean? There's That breadcrumb's normally just too hard to ignore. Yeah, true. Uh, you you are right. I think they do need a guy to come in here and overhaul this offense. Not but Bill O'Brien. I like the fact that. Good <laughs> lord, man. I I like the hire for Mayo because Mayo was not only here as a player where he won Super Bowls yeah. and anchored this defense. He really does understand the culture inside and out as a player now as a coach. Yeah. And he's young. Uh, Gerard Mayo is now the youngest head coach in the mm-hmm. NFL. I think it's the right move, just because you are going to have a guy that understands the culture. Uh, and understands the defense, understands exactly what Bill wants to do because he played in the system. Yeah, um, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited for Gerard Mayo, man. And who knows? I mean, we didn't expect. Think about this: the Houston Texans hired D'Amico Ryan's and Bobby Slowick. Now, Bobby Slowicks are hard to come by. Mm-hmm. C.J. Strouds are hard to come by. But you see, that turnaround can happen in one off season. Sure. I think Mayo can keep this defense great. It is going to take finding that star QB, that star offensive coordinator. But the Texans showed us one offseason, you can make it happen with the right moves. Yeah, but you got to really nail those moves. You got to really Oh, you got to crush it. You got to hit. You got to. And it starts with <laughs> franchise quarterback and like 
a special rookie quarterback. And I'm not super optimistic about the Pats just walking into that. And it's crazy that Mayo just surpassed now McVay as the youngest coach in the league. And McVay is in his seventh season and has already won a Super Bowl and been to another one. Like, that dude is just a freak. But in terms of Belichick's legacy... He is clearly the complete architect of the greatest dynasty in NFL history. You mentioned the championship games and all that. Put together 18 top 10 defenses, including six top two defenses. And that spans across two full decades. That is with totally different personnel. He was going to make you elite on that side of the ball. And that was as important to the Patriots always being there as Tom Brady and that offense was. And just some iconic performances from him as a defensive play caller, 2018 Rams in that Super Bowl, an offense that averaged 33 points per game, puts up three against the Pats. They held the greatest show on turf, 2001 Rams, who would average 31 points per game to 17 points. He was a schematic genius, but also in terms of identifying personnel, he built those defenses and he built those offenses as GM for the entirety of those two plus decades. He traded a fourth round pick for Randy Moss. He got Julian Edelman with a seventh round pick. He got Tom Brady in the sixth round. He consistently retooled and rebuilt these defenses. But I mean, they were always elite, but he would swap out key parts. He would trade dues when their value was at their highest and he didn't want to pay them. And he'd bring in young guys. I mean, got him over. Gilmore, Jamie Collins, dude. Like it just happened over and over and over again. And, uh, that's just such an incredible accomplishment. It's really unrivaled in the history of the sport. And you can't slander him because he had a few years of incompetent quarterback play after Brady. And at the tail end of his tenure and really his coaching career, like he got behind the ball with offense and with drafting. Most people don't go out at their best. And I think that's more obvious for players because it is physical attributes. But I think that that applies for coaches as well, even though he is still really good defensively. That just, like, is not close to outweighing two decades of genius that exists very clearly outside of Tom Brady. Like, you don't just walk into two decades of elite defense, of elite drafting, of elite trading. There's one dude behind that, and you want to write it off because he also had an amazing quarterback? Like, that's silly. These things go hand-in-hand, man. It takes an entire team to win championships. The I wonder if you're right, though. A lot of guys talk so much, like Brady unretiring, Favre unretiring. Mm-hmm. It, it, sometimes it's an insatiable urge that you know it's a, it's just a itch that they have to scratch. And I wonder if it's going to be too much for Bill. Like even think about Dick Vermeil. Dick Vermeil coached the Philadelphia Eagles in the yeah, I believe the late seventies and the early eighties. Mm-hmm. Came back in the nineteen nineties, way older. Brings in Kurt Warner. They win a freaking Super Bowl. You know what I mean? So yeah. maybe that urge is there for Belichick. Like, I, I wonder if he's just so entrenched that he can't let it go. And if that's the case, give him a shot. Where are your uh, where are your ideal spots for him? I know that I think the Raiders will probably offer him because he uh, I think— the Raiders. I don't think he can either, but I think Mark Davis— I'm just thinking about owners that would throw him a bag. I think Carolina and Vegas— may throw him a bag just because of their owners. No, he might as well retire if those are going to be the places that Oh, no, I'm saying, I'm just saying that I think those teams might throw him the most money. Yeah, but I think anybody's going to be willing to pay for Bill Belichick. Maybe not anybody, just because this is such an awesome coaching market with Jim Harbaugh potentially coming to the league, with Ben Johnson, but, like, he's still Bill Belichick. What do you think about, I haven't heard this one, 
I like the Chargers. What do you think about Atlanta? Atlanta. I just Atlanta, mean in terms of I'm if you can okay get the coordinator, with. if you yeah. get the coordinator, the offensive pieces are already in place, and that's a really talented roster. Like, yeah. you give Belichick an offseason to just retool the defense, I think that Atlanta can make some noise. It's not bad. Here's the one that I've seen picking up some momentum that, like, I think would be amazing. If the Eagles fumble this playoff situation, if they do lose to the Bucks. Then you have this disastrous end of the season. I think people will kind of look at Nick Sirianni and say, okay, what is this guy really doing? Take away his coordinators and things fall apart. And then I think you could justify firing him. And then that's the exact scenario. It's like the Chargers where you already have a lot of the offensive pieces in place. You just need to fix the defense. And uh, they have more talented dudes than the Chargers on that side of the ball. Like Bill could fix that defense. And uh, that would be pretty sweet. That would be really cool for him. That, to me, is the sort of situation where it's like, yeah, you should actually stick around because you can show that you are still a special coach, even at this age, even separate from Brady. You definitely can't give him personnel decision-making ever again. I think that those days are gone. But there's some intriguing landing spots there, man. Like, this is the most interesting coaching cycle I can remember. There are so many jobs open, and there are so many good candidates for them. One dude who was also done, Logan at least as head coach, is Pete Carroll. He's staying in the Seahawks organization, but he is done as the head honcho after 14 years. What's your reaction to that? This was pretty shocking, and it's going to be weird that Pete doesn't have full control, but I'm glad that this is a mutual uh, breakup. You know what I mean? I think the... Well, it's apparently uh, not. He apparently fought oh. really hard to keep the job. But never mind. It's not mutual. Yeah. <laughs> Dang, it's... It's not it's not me, it's you, is what Seattle effectively told Pete Carroll. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like Pete a lot. Pete is the only coach, I believe, in football history to win both a uh, collegiate national championship uh, with USC and a Super Bowl uh, with the Seattle Seahawks. So that's uh, pretty interesting Jimmy, for his legacy. Did Jimmy Johnson do that? I think Jimmy Johnson Actually, no. Uh, did Barry Switzer... Might have two, or maybe he's the only active guy. I read that stat somewhere. We're gonna get my maybe stats team. Maybe it is on it. Barry Switzer. Hold up, I'm your stats team. I'm getting on it. Keep going with your spiel. It's weird. I, I'm glad that Pete can hang around. I don't think that I think Pete's just too old to restart somewhere, and he's got too much tenure in the organization. And I think it's the right move. I don't really know who the next guy is for Seattle, though. You are right. This is a good coaching cycle. So there's a lot of great candidates to pick from, but I don't know who Seattle's uh, going to get for this job, but I'm glad that Pete's around in the organization. I hope he can help make make them good decisions. Like, you think about uh, Pete just is is a football guy. He's a really valuable resource to have around. It's like Tom Coughlin after he was done coaching and went to the Jags, went back to Jacksonville where he initially started. Uh, I think they want some fresh some fresh fish in there. You know what I mean? I think they want to restart, get a little younger guy to lead the team out. And I think Seattle's talented enough to where I still think they need to make moves defensively. I think they need more pass rushers. I think they need more guys in the middle. I don't think Seattle's going to dramatically fall off without Pete. And again, I'm glad that they're keeping around. He's just a good football guy to have in the room. Yeah, I mean, they've got a great fish market up there in Seattle for sure. So for what it's worth, Jimmy Johnson did this in 1987 with Miami. And Barry Switzer did this in 1985 with Oklahoma. So, redaction. Retract that stat, Logan. It was fake news. This is common, regular stuff. Everybody does it. 
at least at least three uh, gentlemen in football history have three. accomplished this feat. So sorry, Pete. That club got a bit more inclusive real quick. This does surprise me. I mean, what an unbelievable run for Pete. Never won fewer than seven games in a season. Made the playoffs in 10 of his That's 14 crazy. years. And now I do agree with you. I don't think that parting from him at this point is going to make you fall off a cliff. But the NFL is just brutal, dude. Because it's like this isn't even a Belichick situation where it's, okay, he's clearly lost touch on one side of the ball. And yeah. his personnel decisions haven't been as good. And you won four games. It's like Pete got you into the playoffs last year when that was not the expectation. And expectations were higher this year, but you still won nine games. Like, it's just brutal, dude, that even a guy like that doesn't get to go out on his own terms. And it depends, I guess, on where they're going to pivot to. Because I know that there's a lot of people who think that they have their eye on Dan Quinn, which to me is kind of like, all right, so theoretically you're keeping your identity because that's a Seattle guy. He was the defensive coordinator for some of those early Seahawks defenses under Pete Carroll, but you're not going to let Pete be the guy who does it. It's yeah. not like Dan Quinn is like, Oh, young offensive mind. We're doing a 180 here. It's like, yeah, he's younger than Pete obviously, but he's you know a guy in his mid fifties who comes from the Pete Carroll tree who specializes on the same side of the ball. I just wouldn't love that necessarily. I can't be like, oh my God, you need to let Pete coach until he's 80. Because I don't think that he's one of the elite coaches in the NFL anymore. But I still think that he's good. And I think that he is the kind of guy who's just earned, unless there's something egregious, unless you do win four games, then you can justify whatever you want. But when you're still winning, it's kind of brutal to me. But it's a crazy, crazy offseason for coaches. And we'll probably have to wait a bit before the news picks back up before the successors are named. The Gerard Mayo is sort of an exception because that was seemingly planned and that is an internal guy. Outside of that, there's a lot of big names floating around and it's going to be really fun to see how that all goes down. So that's going to do it for us here today. Hope you guys enjoyed. If you did, the good news is there is plenty more Nerd Sesh content. You can find all of our full shows on the Nerd Sesh YouTube page. You can also find that we do some NBA video breakdowns there. You can listen to the podcast across audio platforms. You can follow us across social media, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can join our Discord if you want. That is at the link tree across our social media bios. If you want to talk NBA, NFL, be part of our community there. And you can check out some Nerd Sesh merch at thevolume.com. We've got hats, we've got shirts, we've got hoodies, all of that. we got the flags behind us at thevolume.com, and also at our link tree. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.